slide. There we go. I can see now. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. It's good to see everyone this morning. Um, man, I'm, I'm excited um, to really, really talk. He's my arm candy. So, you know, it is, yeah, he's, he's, he's special. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, man, I, I am excited. I, I've been thinking um, a lot about, you know, the church and everything and, and figuring, like, hey, we got to grow and stuff. And last week we had, like, a ton of visitors here. Um, and, and so I, I just believe we will grow as God plans us to grow. Like, I just, I know, like, our, our church is here. And, it, and it's going to continue to be here. And so, so I'm excited about that, that God just moves and, um, and God shows up when there's only a few of us. God shows up when there's a lot of us and he shows up every week. And so I really hope, um, you know, it's been my heart, just this idea of showing up on Sunday mornings expecting, you know, be, being like being surprised by God and just seeing what he's going to do. And so I'm very, I'm very excited about this morning and, and this series that we've been doing with this whole idea of outlasters and and the idea of outliving ourselves and, and, and passing on a legacy on. And, you know, that, that's my prayer for, for this church, for us as individuals and stuff, that years and years and years down the road, um, Lord tearing, um, that this church just continues to make an impact in the community and continues to make an impact in lives and everything. Um, we start with the idea that it's important to share, to pass on a legacy. It's, it's important for us to pass on our values, to pass on our faith to the next generation, and, and to live those out. Um, last week we talked about money, which is always fun to talk about in a church. People always get nervous, but, but it's true. If, if we can get our idea and we do the things the way God wants us to do, and we deal with our money, we deal with our lives the way God wants us to do it, then it always leads to freedom. And so there, there's a way that we can be generous. There is a way that we can um, be good stewards of what God has given us and, and, and doing all that. But this week, I, I'm really, really, really excited about, about like our hearts. You know, as I've always said, it, it, it's always about our heart and, 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 what, and, and the, the attitude of our heart and everything. And, and I love, there's a quote here. Um, let me see if this thing works. Is it going to work? Yes, I love this. Um, William Burns is a great missionary. She says, I'm ready to burn out for God. I'm ready to endure any hardship if by any means I might save some. The longing of my heart is to make known my glorious Redeemer to those who have never heard. And what an awesome statement. What an awesome goal to have for your life and, and, and your faith to just say, man, whatever it takes, and I'm ready just to, just to spend it all for God's glory. I'm ready to see God move and his kingdom grow and, and, and do all that. I mean, isn't, <clears throat> isn't that the way you would want to live? I mean, just, just think about that. Isn't it like just to have that much passion about what you're doing and, and, and how, you're, how you're living and the things you do. And so this morning, that's really, really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this idea of having a faith that's on fire. That, that, and the cool thing about a fire is that it spreads. You know, you, you notice it's not always a cool thing. People in California have realized that again this year. But fires spread. Like a spark flies off and, and it spreads. And so if we get to a point where our faith is on fire and it spreads to our kids, it spreads to our community, it, it changes everything. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited about this. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 112. We started this whole series um, in the psalm. And we're going back there this morning just to remind us once again how important this is and about our faith and everything. And so, as always, these are the only words that matter. 
These are the most important words that will be said this morning uh, or any morning. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement of the power and just the majesty of God's word, would you stand with me as we read Psalm 112, starting at verse 1. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For righteousness will never be moved. He will be, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning. I, I thank you for the opportunity, God, just to gather and I'm humbled by the fact that you don't need us to sing or for me to preach or any of that stuff, God. But you invite us into your presence. God, you invite us into your plan. God, we can't help but be changed by that. And so, God, this morning, that's, that's what I pray. That's what I ask, God, humbly, that you would just change us. You would change our hearts. That, God, you would ignite a fire within us within this church god that you would bring revival god start with me god and that it would spread god that you'd bring an awakening to a community that is in such desperate need of hope and god most of all that you would be honored god that it would be your words and not mine this morning that you would get the glory and only you god may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you Father, we ask for ears to hear and a heart to respond. We ask your word to penetrate us and to change us. And may you get all the credit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I, 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 do, I do really, really do love um, today's message. Um, it, it is one that that I, I just I, I believe with all my heart that as, as Christians, as the church, we carry the hope of the world. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other organism, organization on the planet like the church and like um, those that claim to be followers of Christ when we actually um, start living it out. And and. and and it hurts me, it, it, it kind of troubles my heart that it seems like in so many churches and in so many lives, it seems like that fire has kind of dwindled down. That, you know, I know, and we can blame culture, and we can blame, um, you know, just this, the world is sinful, and it's all going bad and everything, and so all that. But uh, in, the, in the end, it's still about our hearts. In, in the end, it's still about, you know, what are we going to do with the faith that's been imparted to us? And what are we gonna, how are we going to live our lives? And so looking back at, at Psalm 112, I, I, I love that the psalmist says, he says, first, you know, praise the Lord. Bless the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. You know, this picture of like, you know, the happy is the man, blessed is the man who actually knows God, who, who fears him and understand is in awe of him. You know, that word fear is all through the Bible, and a lot of times we don't like that word fear because we think it's like, oh, I'm going to like cower. It means more like a fear, an honest, like, wow, an awe. It's, it's the Isaiah moment where he stands before the presence of God, and he's like, man, I am a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. What am I doing here? 
And, and so it's understanding. It says he greatly delights in his commandments, that he loves his word and he loves the God's plan. It says his offspring, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. You know, the psalmist gives us this great picture. What does a person that totally is sold out, 100% surrendered to God, kind of looks like? It is someone who fears, who delights in the commands, is doing and being obedient. That their family is growing in that. That there's wealth and riches, and not necessarily monetary wealth and riches, but there's riches in relationship, there's riches in everything, and there's a righteousness, and there's a light, and there's all this stuff. And so it gives us this great picture. And so if I look at that, I would say that's a pretty successful life. See, but the only problem is, is I think we've changed the definition of what success is in, in, in our culture. For us, in, in our culture, success is, is being well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. And for our kids, the same thing. If our kids are well-rounded, if our kids are well-educated, and then they're happy. Everything. I, I think this is so off the point, because one, first, being well-rounded, it sounds really good. But the problem is, is that we have, we, we're so well-rounded, we're so into so many things that we're not good at anything. You know, honestly, I would rather be excellent at just a few things than well-rounded in a whole bunch of things for God's glory. And well-educated, yeah, I think that is important. Education is important. We push it. We tell our kids, you're going to school. We just did an event this Saturday for the sheer idea of that get your kids to school don't miss school and everything but in the same time are we well educated in our faith are we diving into god's word or are we growing in that and stuff or are we just relying on just a well-educated life and then happy finally we talked about that the first week happiness god's goal for us is not happiness it's it's joy we, we find happiness when we're obeying him, when we are living the life that he meant for us to live, we find happiness. But happiness is always dealt with circumstances. And, and so if that's the idea of success, we're in a lot of trouble. And, and unfortunately, I think in the churches sometimes, that's the definition we use too. Now, I was thinking about this week, we need to be well-rounded. You have to have children, youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry. You have to have all these things and everything and have a well-rounded kind of smorgasbord of programs but that's not necessarily the, a good thing doing more being busy for god is not always being the best for god you know being being well educated if all we ever do is sit here and just learn and study and we don't do anything with it then we're in trouble and if the idea is for me to make everyone happy i'm going to fail miserably because i'm going to disappoint people all the time well, we can't just be happy in fact, in fact that, that's what it says in Matthew 16, 26. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And, and, and I just, I feel that we are giving up our souls for well-roundedness, for happiness, and all that stuff. And, and that's why we get frustrated. And that's why so many people are frustrated in, in their lives. See, I, I believe we're called very, very simply. I, I think we are called to be and to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. I, I think we're called to be Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers, and I'm, I, I think we're, we are called to raise up another generation and to unleash them on all and, and that. And that sounds like an awful big job, doesn't it? 
And for some of us who may be sitting there, listen, I'm just trying to get by. I just want to pay my bills. I want to make sure I have a roof over my head. I have food in my, in my pantry. And, and, and my kids, you know, they end up okay. But, I mean, this, this is a huge thing when we're talking about outlasting and, and outliving ourselves. And, unfortunately, so many people, um, when their lives are over, it's pretty much over. You know, it, it's really interesting to me that um, you know about a person's life by the way people talk about them when they're gone. You know, there's always, like, the good, like, well, they were a good person and stuff, but if that is, like, as much as it gets, then there really wasn't much in that life to pass on. But when you hear people talk about, man, they were, like, faithful and they were strong and they were had integrity and they were honest and they were hardworking, and, and you hear about this stuff, that's passed on to kids and generation and generation. And like I said, every one of these series, it doesn't matter if you have kids or don't have kids, if your kids are grown or, or you're not married and stuff. We, we have a generation that needs to understand that they are called to be Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers, that we're called, we're commanded to be world changers wherever we're at. No matter how many of, the, of us there are in a certain situation or community, we are called to be world changers, and we're called to help others become that too. But our kids and the next generation won't see it unless we're living it out. And in the end, I think it's all about exposure and, and what we are exposing ourselves to, you know? So... So let's let's talk a little bit about this this morning. This is what I want to talk about, managing exposure. Because the honest truth is, is we're going to be exposed to a lot of things. We live in a fallen, broken world. We're going to be exposed. Our kids are going to be exposed to things that maybe we don't necessarily want them to be exposed to. But it's going to happen. You know, I remember talking to a parent one time. Um, I mentioned the word pornography in, in youth ministry. And I had a parent get up to me and says, don't talk to my kid about pornography. It's horrible. Don't don't talk about that. We don't we don't talk about that. We don't want him to have any idea about that. And I'm like, ma'am, your your son's 14 years old. Does he play video games? <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, then he's already been exposed to it. I mean, and so th there are there are things that we're going to be exposed to, and there's things that we allow ourselves to be exposed to. And, and the truth is, the exposure that we get determines who we or our kids become. It, it really is, is what we fill our lives with and what we allow to kind of come in and, and take hold of us is going to determine, you know, who and what we become and what our kids become and this next generation comes. And so we have to figure out how to manage it and, and how and figure out what's the most important things. Back in um, back in Proverbs 1320, we, we read this weeks ago. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What you and I surround ourselves with and what we expose ourselves to is really what's going to become and fill our hearts. And, and so if we're, we're filling our hearts with foolish things, we're, we're going to be a foolish person. But if we are surrounding ourselves with wise people and with wise things, if we're surrounding our kids with wise people and with wise things, then that's what they will become. And so we have to manage our exposure. We have to sit there and say, God, you have a plan in all this, and I want to outlast myself, and I want our church to outlast itself and grow and, and do all these things. And so how do I do this? Well, I do it by exposing myself to the right things. So what are those right things? <clears throat> there we go. What, what, what are the right things? And, and I know there's, there, there's issues to this. The very first thing is you can't force someone to love God. 
You can't force your kids. You can't force your neighbors. You can't force your friends. You, you, you can't force them to do that. And, you know, one thing I don't understand about God, but I'm so grateful for, is this idea of choice. You know, I, I used to wrestle with the idea of like, well, God, if you knew we were going to sin, why did you put a tree in the middle of the garden in the first place? Why didn't you just leave that out? Because love chosen is truer love than love ever forced. And so you, you can't force, but what we can do to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our kids, is we can expose them to experience that increase the likelihood of growth. We, can, we call it casting seed here. You know, just tossing out the seed wherever we go, just casting seed and allowing God to take that and trust him for the outcome of it. And so if we can't force people to come to church or we can't force people to trust God and follow God and do things God's way, we can't expose them to experiences that <clears throat> increase the likelihood that those seeds will grow, that they'll take root and everything. And so we, we, can, we can tend the soil. Is what I think. And so there's a couple of things that I think we need to focus on. There are three main things this morning that I want us to focus on that we need to manage the exposure. And so the very first one is exposure to the joy of knowing God personally. We, we need to expose ourselves to that. And we need to expose our kids to that. Exposure of the joy of knowing God personally. Turn to John chapter 17, verse 3. This is Jesus, John 17. If you ever want to read the greatest prayer in the Bible, read John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's only found in John. It is where he's praying for his disciples. He's praying about you know, what's coming. It's right before the crucifixion. Um, and he also prays for us in that. But look at verse 3. Jesus says this. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let me read that again. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's a huge deal. It, it should be exciting to know God because there's a big difference about knowing about God and knowing God. There's a big difference about knowing about Jesus and actually knowing who Jesus is. And, and I think in some ways that we have forgotten in areas of our lives, we've forgotten the difference of that. Like, I know about Jesus. I know about the things he says, the golden rule and all this stuff, and those, those are all fine. But do I really know Jesus? Do, do I know his heart? Do, do I know his passion? Do I know his love? Do I know his grace in my life? Am I experiencing that on a daily basis? When I show up to church, am I overwhelmed by God's presence because I know him, and I know that he's the head of the church, and it's his church, and so he's always there, and so do I actually know him or just do I know about him? You know, we got a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, that are super intelligent book knowledge-wise. But their hearts don't match up. I mean, if you look at it, in the New Testament, who did Jesus have the biggest problem with? The religious leaders that knew about God, that knew about all the laws, they knew all the laws. They, they knew them by heart, and they, they even added things to make it even a little bit more difficult and a little bit more like I even know they knew about, but they didn't know God. 
we, we see that when Jesus gets in trouble, they, they chastise him for healing someone on the Sabbath. And he says, man, you know the law, but you don't know the heart of the law. You know, the Sabbath was made for the Lord. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I do. This is what we do. And so there's a huge difference. And so we have to go from knowing just about to actually knowing. And when we know him, things change in our life. Our attitudes, our, our goals, our, our perceptions, they, they change in our life. We have to get to this point where it's, it's not just about a bunch of rules, but it's about a relationship. You know, if I truly want to know the joy of knowing God personally, if I, if I know that, then it's a relationship. And so many times we get stuck in just the rules. Like we have to have, you know, we have to have this many days we go to church and I have to pray this many times. I have to read this much of my Bible and I do all that. And all that is really good stuff. But if all it is is just a bunch of rules and it's not relational anyway, it's absolutely useless. It's a waste of time to go to church if we're not dealing with the idea of a relationship, that there's a father, there's a God, a creator that wants to know us, that already knows us intimately, but wants us to know him intimately, to share in everything. And what drives me crazy and what I can't understand ever is this idea that how can we have a relationship with someone and never communicate with them? You know, how can, how can we say, like, I really want, I know God and I know his heart if we're not in his word all the time? Because this, this is, this is the, this is everything we need to know. Everything we need to know about God's heart, who he is. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. Read the Gospels, read the New Testament, read about his life. If you want to know about his plans, just read. How can we know him if we're not communicating with him, if we're not talking to him? You know, just prayer. I think we've made prayer such a formal thing that I pray at certain times. I pray before meals, and I pray this time. I pray before I go to bed, and I do stuff. Whatever happened, just having a conversation with God. I know it feels weird because you can't see him. He's not walking with you, but I promise you, he's here. He's here today. He's here everywhere we go. This is why it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when we pray, like, in God, would you just send your Holy Spirit and your presence here? Well, if, I, if I'm a follower of Christ, wherever I go, God's presence is with me. His Spirit indwells me. And so at any moment, at any time of the day, I can sit there and go like, God, what do you think about this? God, I'm struggling with this. God, I was thinking about those people or, or these people. And, and what... What should happen there? There should be a joy of knowing God. It should show in the way we live. And our kids in the next generation need to see that also. That we're actually excited that we know Jesus. That, that our life reflects that. That I have a relationship that nobody can break. Isn't that what Paul said? Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And so shouldn't there be joy? And so we can expose people like that. I get so tired of seeing Christians that are just negative Nellies all the time. World's awful. They're Eeyores. Everything's going to hell. It's dying. All these horrible people. We can't do nothing. Church is dying. You want to go? I mean, who would want to go with that? I don't want to go there. 
There should be joy. We should be excited. And, and whether it's two of us or 2,000 of us, we should sing with all our hearts because there's joy in knowing that the God of the universe, the creator of everything that made us and loves us, came down and said, man, I want a relationship with you. I want to be your father. You can talk to me about anything. And there should be joy in the church and there should be joy in our lives as we walk around. That's what it's supposed to be like. The next thing is managing exposure. We need to expose ourselves and expose the next generation to the presence and power of God in his church. And this is my pet peeve today. This is my little soapbox about his church because I, I believe in the church. I believe God, I think God has ordained the church to carry the hope of the world. And I think it's a big, big deal. And I think it's become not so much of a big deal in the world today. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You've heard this, and, and I've said this. I've done Facebook Live things on this and, and all stuff. And, and I, th- I think it's a big deal. It says in, verse, in chapter 10, Hebrews 10, starting verse 24, it says, And let us consider, let us think about, let us contemplate how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe the church is a big deal. I think the church has always been the big deal, and it's never stopped being a big deal. Anybody that sits here today and says, listen, church is, you know, church is, it's the universal church. We're all the church, so if I stay home and I'm good and stuff, then I can be the church. And yes, we're part of the universal church, but can I tell you, 90% of this New Testament is written about the local church, about the local body of coming together, and being that, and yet we, we, we sit there and we say, well, it's not a big deal. Listen, I, I want you to know I believe this all my heart, and I feel this when I'm not here. You, you miss church, you miss a lot. I, I think when we miss gathering together, when we miss um, 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 coming together as a community, we miss a whole bunch. Because I think we experience God in, in even a greater fashion when we are together. I think we experience him when we're by ourselves. And we should experience his presence every single day. But there's something special happens when a group of people that come together from all different backgrounds, from all different standings and social economic places, they all come together and they're linked together by one common thing, and that thing is Jesus. And so we, we miss that. We, we miss not coming together. And we, I think we've made church something that has become optional in so many ways. You know, we say, well, you know, think about it. What's, what's the thing, if, if, if things are happening in your life and you're, and you're busy and stuff, what's, the, what's usually the one thing that you say, well, okay, we, we can miss this? Or, you know, do, have you ever gotten up and said, do you want to go to church today? Can I ask you, have any of you that have kids ever looked at your kids and say, do you really want to go to school today? Do you really want to go, you know, I spent all that money on this thing. Do you really want, yeah, you don't have to go to that. We make so many other things not optional and not the church. And so we need to, pre- we need to understand and expose ourselves and our kids to the presence and power of God in his church because that's where it's most needed, that's where it's most felt. See, because we're all the body, we all have different tools and we all have different acts and when we come together, it's a blessing to one another. You may have had a horrible week and you come to the church and there's someone there saying, man, I understand right where you're going, there's encouragement. 
You may be struggling with decision or struggling with something that's going on, and there's people around who say, hey, we're going to pray with you, and we're going we're to stir you to make the right choice and, and do that. There, there's so many things that happens when we choose church, and there's so many things that don't happen when we make it optional. And I just, I just want to remind you, we don't go to church. We are the church. It's not this building. It's not, a, it's not a roll number, how many people we have. It's not facilities. It's not a standing. It is the people. And the people gather together. When the church gathers together, Jesus Christ said to Peter, when he said, well, on the profession of faith that Jesus Christ is Messiah, God in flesh, when we come together in unison on that, Jesus said not even the gates of hell will stand against it. I mean, so every time we gather, we should expect the presence and power of God. We, we, we should be excited. It, it, sh- it should become a priority. And I'm not saying this just because I'm the pastor of a church. Because I promise you there are days that I'm like, I don't feel like going to church. It's, it's easy to kind of say, man, you know, they'll be fine without me. <laughs> but, but can I tell you something? When, when you're not here, we're missing something. I just wanted I, I just want you to know that. that that this is why I'll do a Bible study with two of us or one of us here I, I'll, I'll preach on Sunday nights if there's only three or four of us here because when, when we are gathered and God moves it's his church and it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's 20 people or if it's 2,000 people it's still his church and we can experience his power we need to expose ourselves to that. And we need to expose the next generation to that. Listen, I understand the church is no longer the center of a community in this country. But I think it can be again. If we get the mindset that I'm not going to church, I am the church. And as I gather, man, God's presence and his power is evident. What we have to do, that gives us a faith on fire. That, that, that excites us. The last thing in managing exposure, it's, it's the exposure to the thrill of being used by God. The absolute thrill of being used by God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy, giving his charge, this young pastor, um, um, trying to get everything going and everything in 2 Timothy 2. Um, Verse 20, he says this, he says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I I I want you to hear this. And I want you to understand that every single person in this room, every single person that ever walks through the door has potential to lead. It, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to get up and, and be like a preacher and, and you're, you, you have to be a pastor to be successful and, and to be used of God. Or I have to be a missionary to be used of God. Or I have to go to some foreign land. And I'm saying like right now, it doesn't matter. They're, they're gold, they're wood, they're all types of different vessels. In Corinthians, Paul says we're all different parts of a body, but we're still all one body. And every person has the potential to lead. Every student, every child, every adult, every senior adult, every single person has the potential to lead. 
All of you do. It, it doesn't matter. Students, don't let anybody despise your youth. Because you have potential to lead and to change the world. Adults, don't just because you're in a job and, and things are hard and stuff, you have potential to lead. You have potential to make impact. Senior adults, it doesn't matter if you're retired or, or not. You still have potential to lead. We all have that same potential. And it is a thrill when God says, man, I want to use you. Because when you think about it, God doesn't need us to do anything. He says, yep, I'm going to invite you to come and join me in what I'm doing to be a part of it. And it should be thrilling. See, because we not only have the potential, we have the power to lead because the God himself, his spirit indwells us. And that means nothing is impossible that God lays before us. If I stand up here this morning and say, I believe every person in four corners can hear the gospel. It's true because we have the power in us to do that. Whether it's 20 of us or 2,000 of us, it doesn't matter because it's the same God, it's the same power. And so that's thrilling to me. And we need to remember, man, there's nothing better than being in the center of God's will. Nothing better. And the center of God's will may be you as a plumber or a garbage man or as a pastor or as a missionary. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It matters your position. Wherever you're at, you have the potential and the power to lead others and point them towards Christ. And that should be thrilling. Listen, I remember as a young teenager, the very first time I told someone the gospel and they accepted Christ. I will never forget that day. I was like, man, I, I, I want to feel that again. That was thrilling. I, I, I remember preaching messages or speaking at messages and seeing lives change. I, I remember last week talking to a, one of our visitors just coming in. We we're talking about money. He's like, you know what I do? I just need to start trusting God more. And I, I'm going to trust him. And this guy that probably didn't have anything went out to a bank machine, came back and says, here's my first tithe that I've done in years. And so, I mean, that, that's thrilling when we get to use that and be a part of it. And we need to experience that. But we also, we also need our, our kids to experience that. That's why I love that, like, our student ministry, like, I want students leading as they grow up. They're the ones that are going to grow the ministry. Listen, if we want to grow the church and see the church grow, it's only going to happen if you invite and share the gospel. It's not because because some plan or program or, or strategy we have. It, it's because that we are living out this idea of being used by God wherever we're at. And it's thrilling especially for the next generation. I, I love, for years, all I've heard is the church is dying. The church is dying. Kids graduate high school, 80%, 90% of kids graduate high school and they leave their faith and they don't ever come back. I, I love that I read a study that Tom Rainer says, he says, well, what about the ones that did stay? What, what about the ones that went to college, stayed with their faith? You know what the 98% mark was? For every kid that stayed is for students that had shared the gospel, had seen God move, and was being used by God as teenagers and as students. 98% of those kids left for college and stayed with it for the rest of their lives. When's the last time you felt like, man, I've just God just used me there? Remember that thrill? Feel it again. Pray for it every day. God. Every day, you're going to give me an opportunity to be used by you. Every day, you're going to put somebody in my path. I can do this. As Joshua puts it this way, in Joshua 24, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that in my family. I believe that for this church. I believe that we're going to serve God. We're going to do the best with what we have, and we're going to trust him for what we need, and we're going to continue to make an impact. And we're going to show up at farmer's markets, and we're going to show up at block parties, and we're going to keep the doors open, and we're going to keep preaching, and we're going to keep praying, and we're going to ask God just continue to move in the lives because we know that he has a plan, that he has a heart for everyone here. He has a heart for you. He has a heart for everybody in this community. And that we're here at this time for that purpose. And so we're going to serve God with all that we have. That's a fire. And fires spread. It spreads among us. It spreads to our neighbors. It spreads to our co-workers. It spreads to our families. It spreads. And that is a life that is going to outlast every single one of them. Nate Saint is a missionary. His father was one of the ones that um, died, um, was speared to death in the, in the Amazon. I, I love that he said, what, what he says here. He says, and people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. By the way, you're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either a missionary or a mission field. We're all missionaries if we follow Jesus. He goes on and says, They forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. What are you investing your life in? How are you pouring yourself out? And that is how we outlast, to have a faith on fire when we expose ourselves to the joy of knowing Christ, knowing God in a personal fashion, in a relationship. From experiencing his power and his presence in his church and the thrill of being used by him to touch lives and to change the world. Man, we do that. That's a fire that will catch to this church, to other church, to this whole community, to our families and everywhere. And when we are long gone, that's a fire that will continue to burn. That's how we outlast. This morning, I just want to give us a chance to respond to it. This morning, I just want to just say, wherever you're at, whatever God is doing in, in, in your life, just know that he desires and He has his plan is for us to have a faith on fire. And so whatever's going on in your life, whatever circumstances, whatever troubles, whatever busyness is happening, I just want to challenge you for just for the next moments. Let God remind you, one, first of all, just the joy of knowing him. Man, it is what joy it is to know our creator. To know that he's given us a church where we can worship, we can sing, we can serve, and he's given us a job to do where we can be used of him. I just hope wherever you're at this morning that God will just show you those things once again. And that we'll be excited. And we'll catch fire. And that fire will spread. Let's pray.